If you'll turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we continue tonight. Um, I was sharing with some friends before we started uh, tomorrow afternoon, evening. Wendy and I will uh, go uh, about 250, 300 miles from here east to my hometown. And uh, we're going to get up the next morning and we're going to, along with my brother and sister-in-law and our daughter and and uh, nephews and nieces and that sort of thing, we're going to put together uh, the setting. And Friday night, we're going to celebrate uh, my dad, Parker Crouch's 80th birthday. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm grateful, you know, just to be able to do that. Uh, you know, I've, I've had so many friends who uh, long before now in our life have lost parents. And uh, thankfully, uh, both my folks are still living. Uh, just a couple of years ago, my wife Wendy's mom went to be with the Lord. And uh, man, it's just, it's just hard. It's hard. So to be able to celebrate 80 years. Um, when I was growing up, uh, everybody said, oh, no doubt, you're Parker Crouch's boy. I, yes. And, uh, you know, and back then it was when it started, uh, oh, yeah, you must be the, you're Parker's mini-me. <laughs> they don't say that anymore. <laughs> In fact, uh, I outgrew Dad by three inches. And, uh, and just seeing him and the transformation is, as normal aging comes. He's, you know, that, in my mind, he's still that bigger-than-life dad. And uh, everybody else, if you looked at him, uh, if you knew him across the years, um, there's so much to commend him. Uh, you know, we're, uh, it's going to be quite a, quite a celebration. There's going to be uh, uh, nearly a friend for every year of his life that we're going to have a big party with that night as far as the RSVPs have come. If, uh, if not, we may have some surprise people show up and my wife and sister-in-law are going to sweat out the food. You know, we're going to put, you know, stretch it out a little more or whatever. But uh, the reality is that a lot of people uh, who have heard me in this phase of my life, you know, living 100, 300, 250, 300 miles away from time, uh, depending on how you drive, um, people say, you know, I, I, really, I really would like to meet your dad someday. I heard a song, and it's just kind of picked up where it left off a uh, phrase in that song. It says, well, in all honesty, you probably already have, because I'm just a lot like my dad. I find myself, my dad, uh, <laughs> my dad's mannerisms, you know, I, I start realizing he had a thing. If he was driving, and my dad's a quiet guy, that, that may not be the difference. There may be a difference there, excuse me. I'm more like my mom in that way, but oh, she never met a person. She didn't have something to talk about. But dad would, when he would, we'd be in the car driving for any distance, he would have his arm on the, on the bottom of the window, the top of the door there, and he'd just be, it'd almost be like you knew he was somewhere else, and you hoped he was thinking about the road because he was driving. But uh, he, would, he would start pulling on his lower lip when he knew he was thinking about something. I can't tell you how many times I've pulled on my lip and said, what am I doing? Why, why would I do that? It's not that I thought it was a good idea, you know, or I thought it looked cool. My wife has gotten to the point where she says, what are you thinking about? Because she knows it's a, that's a tell that I'm somewhere else probably need to be paying attention to what she's saying but at that point but a lot of us know that we we carry on our parents habits we we bear their likeness um, we think the way they think in many times even though we we thought we you know there was that age when you wanted no I don't want to be anything like I don't want to think the way well, I've got my own ideas. I'm going to charge ahead and, and carve out my own path. And yes, there are things that are very different from me and my dad, in, between me and my dad, but a lot more similar. 
we reflect those that came before us. When it came to the spiritual battle, the, the, the fist fight, the, the knockout rounds that we're looking at in chapter 8, the Jews really did believe that they bore the resemblance of their father, Abraham. Hmm. But on closer inspection, uh, with the one who is the truth, the, the very one who is a mirror to our very lives, when we look into him, we, we don't have to go away wondering what we're like. I can look at other people, and I can come about thinking, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. And that's dangerous. Because our test, the ultimate question is not how much were we or how little were we in comparison to others but as believers as followers of Christ as those who would say we're disciples how how are we like Jesus how closely do we resemble him so the question of heritage the question of descent of pedigree is going to be central to our talk discussion of Scripture tonight. We, again, chapter 8, let's pick up in verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, now mark that, that's an interesting description of those Jews, those who had believed him. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you, may, you say you will become free? I mean, we're, we're already free. Interesting comment as well, given the history and the current status that they held as a nation. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly. I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place. It makes no progress, is the way we would say it, in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my Father or in the presence of my Father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your Father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, You are Abraham's children. Do, excuse me, if you are the, Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. He goes right back. He's making a point. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. You, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own, get this, his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? That is, who has the ability to convincingly judge me that I have done anything wrong? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? If I speak the truth, listen to this, guys and ladies. 
If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, We do not say rightly, or excuse me, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? I'm going to stop at that point and just begin. First of all, I want us to look at the claim descents. That is, this, from Abraham, they believed they had descended. So let's look at what they're looking at. They're looking at the very fact that we are of the bloodline of Abraham. That tells us that we are different. Yes, they were called out. They are God's chosen people. I understand that. You and I agree and can agree on that, that Israel is God's people. Now, please understand me. I do not believe that you and I should waver from the fact that we will bless Israel. We will pray for Israel. We will do whatever and however we can to encourage the people of Israel to be a blessing to God's chosen people. But I also want to say that as individuals, as, as people of, of our country, and as those who would, would influence the election of certain officials and then the appointment of ambassadors and diplomats and all, it doesn't mean we, can, we don't have to say yay and yes to everything that the government of Israel, the nation, does to be a blessing and to be people of support for the people of God. But we do need to understand that our job is not to withhold God's blessing through us to the people who He has set apart. Now, all that said, the text is not talking about a nation, it is talking about a spiritual heritage. And at this point, while the battle still rages and this fisticuffs is going on between the Jews. And Jesus, you and I need to understand, they're, getting, they're, they're not talking on two different planes now. The Jews have actually come at this point, and they are talking more, not, not completely understanding what Jesus is saying or agreeing with it, but they are speaking about spiritual terms as well. Look with me again. Not only did they claim in verse 33 there, read with me again. They answered, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, people will say, wait a minute. <laughs> I, can I can say three times in th at this very point in history that I know the Jews have been enslaved. Once in Egypt, then they were taken off into captivity in Babylon, and now they're under the iron fist of Rome. Now, they may not consider themselves slaves at that moment in a political sense or in a physical sense because they were a vassal state. Yes, they were controlled with, and yes, there was some, some, some parameters that, and some things that were very daunting about Roman control, but they, they would think that, that in some sense physically or, or politically they might have had some freedom and they might have said, well, you know, we're not really slaves. We're, we might call ourselves something else. But that's not what they're talking about. They're, they're actually moving into a spiritual discussion. And they're saying, listen, we've never been under the spiritual bondage that, that some have. We've always had God as our true worship focus. From Abraham down, we've known the one true God. He's been the one that we have given our, our allegiance to, we, well, that's true and not true at times. Yes, as a whole, they had God as their one deity, their at least professed one deity. But how many times after coming out of Egypt did we see the people go into idolatry and practices of the pagans around them? So the reality is they're, they're saying we haven't been enslaved, but yet they, they don't even see because of the blindness of their own lives, the blindness of their lack of faith, the blindness of their sin, 
that they don't even, they don't, it's not that they're trying to lie here. I don't believe the text would even support that. They really do believe that they have never been enslaved, and yet they're totally enslaved. Now look with me. Verse 41. Not only do they claim their father be as Abraham, but then they turn around and to undermine the Lord, they, <laughs> they accuse him. Look with me. Verse 41, it says, read there with me. You are doing the deeds of your father, he says to them. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Now look with me in verse 48. The Jews answered and said to him, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? While he questions their understanding of what descent from Abraham is, they then con- they very, count- very clearly counter with a question about his descent. His- not just as a nation or as a people group, but as a person. They lead into this, first of all, we're not real sure where you came from. And there's some rumors. Maybe your mom was a little wayward girl. Hmm. Maybe you were born out of wedlock. Sexual promiscuity. Then he says, that, or John writes that they accused him, did we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan? That is, not only perhaps is there sexual promiscuity, but perhaps more than that, there is spiritual idolatry. You're confused. You're, you're half Jew and half pagan. and your, your spiritual heritage as well as your physical biological heritage is in question. You're not a true Jew, perhaps. But if that weren't enough, just to, just to nail one more insult, they say, and you have a demon. If it weren't so much that your, your own biological heritage is in question and your spiritual heritage is in question, what we're hearing you do and, and see, we believe may be, in fact, influenced and empowered by Satan himself. That's pretty harsh. I don't know if I could stand in the gales of those onslaughts, but you and I look at this passage and we say, This is truly about our natures. You see, the battle, this this round three is calling us in this battle, this, this prize fight for truth, to look at the fact that that who we are and where we come from is not unimportant. But we have to understand biblically, spiritually, truthfully who we are in order to understand what Christ has come to do. Look with me. Not only is there the claimed descent, but second, there's also the congenital defects. The congenital defects. It's passed on from our parents. That's what congenital talks about. You're born with it. It's, it's just enmeshed in your DNA. It's, it's a problem that you didn't cause by bad behavior. It's something you were born with. It's whether it's a defect or just a, a difference. I don't have as a person, I don't have the, the sensory uh, ability to smell. Never have. I, I've gained that from my mother. She does not have that. Uh, one time she tells the story as a young girl, she was baking bread and her mother was in the back of the house and she was standing at the stove and her mother yelled, Linda, your bread's burning. She smelled it and my mom didn't. And she was right at the stove. I've never been able to smell anything. Uh, 
some people say nothing. And I say, well, it, when, when I'm pouring gas into a lawnmower, the fumes coming up from the pour burn my nostrils. But I don't smell anything. It just, you're, you're around gas. Now you say, how awful. You know, never smell any your wife's perfume. No, but I do buy it. <laughs> it's a good thing. <laughs> happy wife, happy life, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, a, a great meal. Now, <laughs> obviously it hasn't slowed my eating down. Uh, but I don't smell that. I taste some. I believe that has a lot to do with airflow, not uh, the olfactory nerve. But uh, I have a defect, a congenital defect. I was born with it. I inherited it. Look with me in this passage. There's a much more serious issue. Because guess what? My wife doesn't mind the fact that when our daughter was young, I changed a lot of diapers. <laughs> hey, you can't smell that. You do it. Great. But congenital defect goes bigger, deeper, broader, and much more serious than just a lack of a sensory ability, whether that's smelling, seeing, hearing. Those are all limitations, but they're not as desperately dire as this thing called sin. Look with me. In chapter 8 and verse 34 and 35, Jesus answered answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Now, what the, 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 the grammar of the New Testament that John uses is not if someone commits a sin once. It is if someone is continually committing sin. They are the slave of sin. Dr. Rogers used to say it this way, didn't he? What's in the well will come up in the bucket. And, and if unless the well is changed, it'll keep coming up over and over and over again. You cannot change your stripes. You and I can't simply turn over a new leaf. It's the same old leaf. We can't wipe the slate clean and, and start again on our own because guess what? We have the same slate and the same chalk. And we'll just write the same kind of story again. There has to be someone absent of us, outside of us, apart from us, to come in and help us do what we ourselves cannot do. The scripture here, look at me again says that in this defect, this congenital defect, I pass it on to my daughter, she's passed it on to our grandchildren, and so on and so on it will be until Jesus comes. Why? Because I received it from my parents and my grandparents and my great-grandparents all the way back to my first father, Adam. Our first father, Adam. The scripture here says part of the congenital defect is that that's just our pedigree that's the pedigree of humanity I don't have to ask when I walk up to someone Lord I, I don't know is this person a sinner is this person apart from the grace of God lost it's already a done deal we don't get lost spiritually because we do bad things. We do bad things because we're already spiritually lost. We don't become alienated from God because we read His Word and say, you know what, I've never thought about it, but I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. God said to do it, but I don't want to do it. No, 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 no. Before we even know the Word of God, we're already being disobedient. Galatians talks about the fact that there is a law written on the heart. That is, that people who do not know anything about the Bible, 
have never heard anything. No track, no New Testament from the Gideons, no Bible at all. No missionary has been, no witness, no Christian has ever been in their midst. They still know right from wrong to some extent. There's just a, there's a, there's a law, we might call it, the, we, it's evidenced, if you will, in the conscience but it's a law written on our heart but because that's the way God created us. God created that vacuum that only he can fill. And part of that vacuum is the sense of this world is not what it should be. It ought not to work that way. It ought not to be so. People ought not to do that thing. That's not fair. Now, sometimes we're the one being unfair. And others are saying, wait a minute, Mike, you're not being fair. You're not being right. That's, that's wrong. Even pagan cultures believe that taking a human life is wrong. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't tell them about Jesus. We shouldn't reveal truth that's been revealed to us. But, but the reality is we're sinners because that's who we are since Adam, knowingly, with his wide, eyes wide open, did what God told him not to do. And every child born of woman since then in every age, in every place, has been born already a sinner. That's the pedigree of just being human. The second thing we need to understand is not only is that the pedigree, that is the, the bent that we have from the, from the moment of conception, that we are sinners that will need, and once we are able to discern right and wrong, when we know, as the Old Testament says, the children who... No, they're left from their right. That's my, my direction, I guess. Left from right for you guys. They, they are then accountable. David, when his young baby, born of Bathsheba, died, he mourned while the child was sick, but then he feasted when the child had died. And his counselor said, what, what, what's going on? He said, I want you to understand the child shall not return to me, but I shall go to him. You see, God is not so sadistic as to send a child to hell who's never even had the ability to intellectually understand the gospel and the opportunity to know right from wrong and choose the salvation of Jesus Christ. So for those of you who are way, 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 way on one end of that spectrum, we call them hyper-Calvinist. Please understand me. I'm not denying the sovereignty of God. I'm denying your assessment and application of that sovereignty. God is not untrue to his character. God is good. God is just. God is holy. And you and I need to understand, we're, we're born sinners, yes. But we prove it, not just because, hey, that's our pedigree and we're sinners. But have you ever raised children? Have you ever, how many, how many of you had children? I mean, if you're here, please, tonight, I need to meet you before we leave. That your children never did anything wrong. I'm not asking about your grandchildren. I'm asking about your children. How many of you raised perfect children? They never, never talked back. Never did something that embarrassed you at the wrong moment in the wrong place. I mean, never, never knowingly. When you told them, don't do that, they said, uh-huh, let's see what you're going to do. Now, if you raise that child, please, before you leave, come here. I want to talk to you. One... We've got counselors. You are in denial. But if it comes about that you really did raise someone who's at least close to perfect, I want to know your secrets. I'm going to write a book, and we're going to make a lot of money. But here's the thing. Children aren't like that, are they? Because of their bent towards sin, because of their lostness, because they inherit that, that sin nature from you and me, they practice sin
You don't teach a child to lie. You teach them to always tell the truth. You don't wait until they're teenagers. You do it when they're toddlers. You see, by the time they're teenagers, they're moving away. They've already established a moral compass. You've influenced it, yes. But if you wait that long, oh, I don't want to. Johnny is so sweet. I don't, I don't want to hurt his feelings. Do you not understand? A child doesn't understand abstract thinking. Do you know why we don't teach algebra until 8th uh, or ninth grade? Because children can't understand X and Y and solve for those. But guess what? <laughs> I'm 54 years old. I still don't understand it. I mean, I just thank God I got through that class. And, and my grades, I just got through that class. But you have to understand, children don't understand abstract thinking, philosophical, spiritual, deep spiritual truths that they will one day understand. But I do want you to understand, they know right and wrong. And when you say no, I remember pastoring in Corinth, Mississippi. And we had a young couple about our age at the time. They were just having their two girls, and Mary Brooke was coming along at that same time, right at their age. And, and Cassie was the older of their two, and, and Cassie had this moment at her mom's and dad's home where she was, mom was cooking supper and she wanted to be a part and she, would, she was just tall enough to start reaching up to the stove. And it was hot. And Cassie would come up and, she, and her mom knew what was going on. Watching, she was very attentive, very attentive. Cassie would start reaching her hand up to touch that stove because it was red and she hadn't, apparently noticed the redness of the eye before and so she was curious and she wanted to touch it and, she, and her mom knew hey that's not what's going to happen and so she, she would see her start to reach she said no Cassie and Cassie being the sweet little girl no, Cassie sorry and she would walk off for a minute she'd come right back and she would read no no son no 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 sweetie and she was, Cassie, sorry. And she'd walk off from it. The third time, Cassie, sorry. All, all this plays out, plays out, plays out, plays out. Finally, her mom says, Cassie, if you reach up there again, I'm going to spank your hand. Now, Cassie either had no memory of that happening before or maybe it hadn't happened before. But she did test the waters. And her mom did spank her hand. And she spanked it so much so that not only did she hear that hand hit her little hand, but she felt it all the way to her toes. You say, oh, that's too hard. No, 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 no. No, it wasn't too hard. It wasn't too much. It was exactly what... Now, that caused that little girl, that toddler, to squeal like she had been shot. And she ran off and she cried and wailed and acted like the world had come to an end. And her mom walked back, took Cassie in her arms and hugged her. And she was, you know, a little stiff at first. And then she kind of started to relax. She calmed down and her mother explained. Cassie, when mama says no, I mean no. Now, she didn't go into a long soliloquy about, you know, why it's wrong to do uh, the trying to touch the, the stove, it's just wrong. When mama says no, it means no. I have to commend the mother. That was a good thing to do. But it wasn't because she was about to become a sinner. She was already a sinner. And her practice was proving it. She was listening to her mom, but not really hearing her mom. Not really applying what she had heard. You see, you and I can know right and wrong and still live a sinful life. Why? Because we're sinners by nature and we prove it by our practice. Third, so what's the problem, preacher? If we have this pedigree and we're all born with it and by nature we practice what comes up out of that nature, why does God expect differently? Because we have the ability to be different. 
He's called us to be different. Just because we're born sinners doesn't mean that God desires us to remain there. In fact, sin has separated us so completely, so eternally, so profoundly from God that he is brokenhearted over. That he would all, (laughs) as point of grace, a, a girl Christian band years ago sang the song, God loves people more than anything. He does. And he loves us so much that he even sacrifices, as we are seeing this played out, the life of his own son. Because sin is a problem. You and I have to give an account one day of our sin if we've never received the Savior. If we never trust Christ as our Savior, as the one who has ultimately paid the debt of our sin, then we're going to have to answer for that sin and receive the punishment, the just wages of our sin. And that's a problem for God. He doesn't want us to do that. Now, righteous and holy as He is, He will punish sin. And those that receive Jesus Christ spend eternity with Him. Those that reject the gospel of Jesus Christ spend an eternity. That is a never-ending eternity in a place called hell that was never prepared for us as believers or us as even human beings. But we as human beings choose to reject Jesus Christ and thus we choose our eternal destiny. That's a problem. No matter what our pedigree is, and yes, it is sin. And if our practice is so entrenched by that nature and and by our continued practice that we keep sinning and keep rejecting the truth and keep living our own lives apart from Him, the problem is going to be very real and personal. Look with me. John chapter 8 again. Beginning in verse 43. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. You understand, friends, the reason they couldn't hear was not because God didn't want them to hear. They would not hear because their desire was to do that which their father, the devil, had done. Ladies and gentlemen, why do I want to tell Children, in in just a few days, why do we ask for volunteers to help with Camp Outrageous? Because getting the truth to young children before their hearts and minds and spirits are seared by sin, both their own sin and the sin of the world around us, is so important because the longer people go without the gospel, Now, we're not, hey, listen, we're not talking about children that can't understand salvation. Oh, yeah, we got them to raise their hand. No, we're not doing that. But children that are ready to receive Christ ought to be given the opportunity to receive Christ. And we'll walk with their parents through that process of following through. Yes, we don't baptize children without their parents' knowledge. We counsel with them and and with their parents there, and we help them to make sure that they understand what they're doing. And if they do, we want them to come and know Christ early on. Why? Because why? Why would we say, oh, we'll just wait until they're a little older? Really? Do you think that, that little life, that heart just remains in neutral? In the under the influence of a world gone mad? Our children are the targets of the onslaught of our society's worst. Why do drag queens want story hour with children? Because they know this 55-year-old preacher doesn't have any tolerance for it. They don't think there's a very effective audience with me. And they're right. Do I disdain? Do I do I have hatred or, 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 or a lack of concern for that person who's caught up in a, a, a lifestyle and a mentality and a sin culture? No, I'm grieved for them too. But grieving for them doesn't mean that I say it's okay to come and pray upon our children. 
So you and I need to make sure as early as we can, as often as we can, as graciously and winsomely and considerately, wisely as we can, we need to tell children before their hearts and minds are seared and and so captivated by a world gone mad. Why? Because if not, they'll be hearing in one way or another Jesus saying this, You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own. And the word nature is inserted there, but that's what it's talking about. That's just who he is. That, anything that is of him is just a lie. It's, it's, listen, the, the devil never tells the truth unless it's a thin truth surrounding a big lie. He'll tell us just enough to make us believe what he's saying so we'll swallow the whole. But he, he can't, he never created anything. He can only twist what's already here. He never tells us the truth. He only takes it and tar- turns it into falsehood. He turns love into lust. He, t- he, he turns, again, honor and love and the best of this world into something macabre, twisted, and ill-fated. But I speak the truth, but because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. People are, listen folks, people are so caught up in a world gone mad. Do you know what? I spend a lot of conversations, not, not a lot of time, but a lot of conversations over the course of, say, a year or so with Christians asking questions not because they've learned a new truth in the Word, but because they're having a struggle giving up what they learned long ago Amen. that is wrong. The problem with sinners is that they believe so many things that aren't true. The problem with you and me, the hindrance to many of our walks, the delay in our discipleship is often the problem of sin. Long entrenched that now the Holy Spirit is trying to pry up up and then get us to look at and confront and ask ourselves, is this really what you believe? Is that in line with Scripture? Does that coordinate with what truth is? If we're, well, we'll talk about that in a moment. But that's exactly the problem of sin. Look at me again. Not only is there the claim to sense of Abraham and then there are false accusations about Jesus. And not only is there this congenital defect called sin and all its consequences, but third and finally, there is, again, the conversion difference. The conversion difference. That is, those who have... You see, what we have here are people who are believing unbelievers or maybe unbelieving believers. Whichever way you want to talk about it, the Bible says right here in verse 31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, but he's saying in verse 45, but because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. You see, there's a lot of folks that, that give a lip service acknowledgement of what Jesus is saying, but miss the point. Oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds very intriguing, Master. Or maybe they, they say, Brother Steve, that was a great message. I, I've never thought about that. But they walk away, and it's like the, the seed put upon the, the roadway. Satan comes quickly and snatches it away and doesn't let them consider it very long. Or maybe he chokes it out with the weeds. Hmm. So what distinguishes true believers 
from false believers, from, from those who are believing believers and those who are unbelieving unbelievers, actually. Well, look with me again. Verse 31 and 32. He says, the quote, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. First of all, the conversion differences are this. We have a desire to go on in the word of God. We hunger and thirst after righteousness. We want the word to dwell richly in us, so we just keep leaning into the word of God. And look with me again, this passage, it says, if you continue in my word. The idea here is very clear, for, even for our English hearing. It's not about, oh, I heard a great message one time, and well, what'd you do with it? Well, I, I just, you know, it just really was stirring. It, it, just, it was just, you know, I, I went away and I had gospel goosebumps all over my arms. Really? What changed after that? What do you mean, what changed? Yeah, I mean, what changed in your life because you heard that truth? Well, I, 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 I don't know that anything changed. It was, just, it was just a neat moment. It was a special moment. That's not what God's calling us to. I'm not telling you that there are not moments where the overwhelming presence of God is is something that we interact, not only on a spiritual level, as far as His Spirit is bearing witness with our spirit in that moment, and not only are we intellectually challenged to think further and deeper about what God's saying, but there are moments of all that happens and there's just an emotional overwhelm. Maybe you begin to weep. Maybe you're down on your knees and you're praying and thanking God for that moment and just, just overwhelmed emotionally. I'm not saying those things don't happen, but let me tell you what. It is not how high we jump or how far we jump. It really is, as old preachers used to say, how straight we walk when we leave. And we ought to walk in the Word. We ought to say, you know what, I'm so blessed because God showed me His Word that I want to get right back into it. I want to spend my days. Not, I'm not talking about forsaking responsibility for family and work. God is not telling us that you just hole up on some mountaintop and, and just, you know, just distance yourself from every care in the world. What he is telling you is that you make a habitual practice. I know that's redundant. But that's what's important here. It's a practice you'd never stop doing. I just want to continue into his word. Look with me. Then you are truly disciples of mine. Why? Because the Lord is going to continue to speak to those who want to listen. You know what? Sometimes I find myself experiencing in, in some rough patches of life. I come to it and I go, Lord, why are we here again? I, we went through this before. I, I've, I've, it's, you know, the, the specifics are a little different, but I'm getting, this is the same plot line as we went through back such and such a time. And I'm not saying in an audible voice, but in a real emphatic way, God shows me, Mike, the reason the storyline is the same is that you didn't understand what I was trying to tell you the last time. So I'm reteaching the lesson. I don't want to be circling over and over and over again because I'm not willing to lean in to the Word of God. Because leaning in doesn't just mean about acknowledgement. It doesn't mean continuing in the Word is not about just showing up every time there's your favorite uh, broadcast on the Christian network is, is on. It's not just being here on Sundays, though Sunday gathering with God's people is absolutely a habitual practice of God's people. But let me just share with you what it means is, Lord, I'm going to listen and then I'm going to take enough time to say, so what? Where in my life does God want to take that thing that he's revealed to me in that moment of worship and moment in the word? How? It's not just to make me 
have gospel goosebumps. It's about changing, transforming me into the likeness of Christ. And so when I apply it and I start living it out, I'll find that sometimes it's, it's applied quickly, but not... <laughs> it, it just doesn't fit right. My stride is changed, and I, 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 I get chafed for a while, and sometimes we'll say, well, it must not be what I'm supposed to be doing because this is not easy. Do you really think that's what you're to take away from that? Maybe it's the fact that you're doing something further in the Word of God's desire for you, and you need to change. You need to get ready for something else, and He's making it uncomfortable so that you'll learn. Time and time again, we, we, we as Americans, January 1st, we go to the gym. Yeah, new year, new life, new, new goals. We're going we're gonna to master the gym. Six weeks later, while you couldn't get a spot in the parking lot on January 1st and 2nd, nobody is there mid-February. Why? Because it's not comfortable until it becomes comfortable. It's not easy until it becomes muscle memory. And about that time, God shows us something else to push us a little further. But we've got to continue in His Word. Then we can say, as best I know, as humbly as I know how to say this, I want to be a true disciple of Christ. And I'm willing to be uncomfortable for His glory in the, in the continuing in His Word. Now, the second thing is, not only the Word of God, but the Son of God. Look with me again. In verse 36. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. You see, the, the slave that he talked about in the two verses ahead of this verse cannot do anything because he's in bondage. But when the Son, that is... <laughs> The landowner's heir proclaims you free. You are free indeed. You don't have to, you're not in bondage anymore. You know what I found? Now listen, I'm Mike Crouch, recovering legalist. That's just me. I don't blame anybody at this point in my life. I think I picked it up. It was just one of the bents that Satan took what was truth and what was good and what was right and what was wonderful and noble and godly and biblical that God had so graciously given me through Parker and Linda Crouch. And I made it a to-do list. I made it a legalistic system. And let me tell you, when God began to break open that and set my heart free, one of the first things I realized, <laughs> I'm free. Now, that's not free to do what I want. But I was never going to live a gloriously wonderful testimony of Christ and Him alone by judging myself and others according to some legalistic standard. And when He set me free of that, that I am fully accepted, not because of what I did, do, or will do, but because of what Christ has already finished and I stand in that now I want to do like Jesus would do and I depend on him to empower me and guide me to do that but it's not about me it's all about him and there's freedom in that I've been telling you about my new neighbors folks that I've met over the last few weeks and God's just been gracious can't tell you how Wow, God has just been moving. And I believe they are close to the kingdom. But let me just tell you, a few years back, I would say, well, now a, a couple of decades back, it would have been hard for me to open the doors to allow God to encourage them at right where they were toward the gospel because I had such a legalistic view. Whether, you know, people say confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation. No matter what you think of me, there's a lot of sin in all of our lives 
And all I want to do is continue in him so that the word of God will reveal the son of God to me so that the son of God can change me. And you say, well, which is it? Is it, the, is it the word of God that sets us free or is it the son of God that sets us free? Yes. Because he is the living word. The word I, I don't understand truth. I don't even stand, understand the truth of this book apart from a vibrant relationship with the main character. Until I know him, I can't understand. It's, it's like, how many times have you... I, yeah, I've read the Bible a little bit, but it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't. They're not lying, folks. It doesn't. But in him, when we're in him and he's in us, all of a sudden we see light in his light. He shows us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know that preacher a long time ago I heard, if we really want to live, we got to die. That does not make sense. Why, why would I? Wait a minute. Why, that's, that's contradictory. That's an oxymoron or he's a moron. I don't know, but, but it doesn't make sense to the human mind. But when you have Christ in you, what happens? Of course. I'm so grateful that he died for me. I'm so wonderfully blessed that my sin has been paid, not the part, but the whole. I'm blessed by that. But then I continue in, and guess what I hear? Galatians 2, 20. I am crucified with Christ. Whoa. Now, wait a minute. This receiving Jesus, now that was okay, because that's a That's a gift. But now you want me to be crucified? Absolutely. Take up your cross daily and follow me. You see, we Christians have often talked a lot about receiving Jesus as our Savior and Lord, and we should. But we do not need to hedge. We do not need to hide. We do not need to make little of the fact that he also calls us not only to receive him as our Savior and Lord, but to come die. With him. You want to experience real life? Continue in his word. Follow him. Be discipled by him. Make sure that the person you're following closest behind is the Lord Jesus. Because what you're going to find is a cross. Now, men, your cross is not your mother-in-law. Okay? Just, just want to clarify that theological point, okay? Your cross is not the fact that you have an illness that you just can't seem to get an answer to. I know that's hard, but that's not your cross. That's part of living in a fallen world. And I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying there's not spiritual input that God wants to speak into that area of your life. But a cross is dying to self. I, me, Mike Crouch, I am to be crucified with Christ. Not my pain, not my persons that bother me, not anything. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. You see, it's His life through me that I continue to follow after. I want more. I've gotten all of Jesus that I ever need or ever want or ever could handle for sure. That moment that he came in and changed my life. But it's, you know, it's a process of him truly having ultimate control of everything of me. And that means I have to die every day. You see, the real conversion. Those who are believing believers are people who pursue and continue in the Word of God and after the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, may we be those men and women who continue to lean into you. In life's most difficult moments, I pray 
that instead of us being bitter, instead of us being hesitant to, to lean in, Father, help us to know that where can we go except to you and allow you to teach and transform us through your word and through your life. Set us free from this world and all the chains that bind us. Our own sin, a world gone mad, and even that enemy that goes to and fro. May you give us victory, freedom, because we pursue you only. Lord, we can't even want that kind of thing apart from your work in us. So we ask that you would, as, as they used to say, Lord, help us to be willing to be willing. Help us even now to take up the cross afresh and anew, knowing the freedom that stands before us. For it's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.